This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry Always, always waiting for the comeback kids of old. Uh, the Ducks let us down again tonight, Eddie. Welcome, everyone, to the Forever Mighty post-game show. It's not as bad as everyone uh, has been making it out to be lately. I feel like uh, the scores have been better. Shots have been better. But the Ducks fall to the avalanche, uh, the mighty Nathan McKinnon. Honestly, that guy took over the game here. Uh, four yeah. to three in overtime on the power play with 1.3 measly seconds left in the game. Eddie, this game... So far, so good from the beginning. Hits the middle. Avs take over. and The Ducks just can't find the gas pedal again. No, uh, we expected this from this line, though, right? From McKinnon, Rountain, and Landiscock. I, uh, anybody who saw the Forever Mighty Three Stars today, that was our third question was, uh, <laughs> who will get more points, the Ducks first line or the Avs first line? Um, obviously, the it was a bit of a loaded question because of how good the Avs first line has been and, and they showed it in this game. They they didn't really turn it on until the second period when everything started going their way. And once they they started finding that space, uh McKinnon and Rontanen specifically took over this game. Landis Cog, not saying he's a passenger on that line, but those two are just on a whole nother level. I don't know where the hell this Rantanen kid came from. I mean, clearly he was uh showing that he's a really good player last year. And then McKinnon just took over this team once Duchesne was traded. And now you're looking at Ranton and coming onto this lineup, and it's insane. It's it's so deadly. If they can get a couple of utility guys to play down throughout the lineup, that guys who could chip in some goals here, this Avs team could be really dangerous. Yeah, they're, they're missing maybe one other defenseman to complement Tyson Berry, too, because Tyson Berry's a very good defenseman. But other than that, they don't have a lot of pieces. Eric Johnson never... Uh, panned out to what they expected. Uh, I think they even got him from St. Louis. What about Ian uh, Cole? Well, I like Ian Cole, uh, but again, <laughs> still, still, he's not he's not that extra piece. And then reliable goaltending um, is still an issue for them. Rafalama has been good, but he by no means is he an elite goalie. But um, they're just missing a couple pieces. But when you've got the superstars like McKinnon and Ronton and Landis Cog, that that's really all the pieces you need to start building a contending team. Yeah, it's. Uh... It certainly looks to be the case for the Avs. You know, they have a decent goaltender now with Grubauer and Net as well. So if they can start adding some pieces there, like you were saying, I guess the tide's turning for the Avalanche in a good way. Uh, let's get started to some pregame notes. Uh, a few unexpected things, and I think you panicked people a little bit, including myself, with your post on Twitter today. Uh, with, like, <laughs> the Ducks changing up their, uh, you know, their IR and who was listed on the roster. I mean, all of a sudden, Lindholm goes to IR. You see Docton and and Mahura on the up on the lineup, and then you see uh, Boyle getting called up from San Diego uh, to come to the crease here in Anaheim. You're like, everyone's going, what the hell's going on? What the hell's going on? Um, turns out it's not as bad of news as we thought. Uh, Lindholm on the IR with a lower body injury, so he's going to miss, what, three games? Is that, is that how uh, that works? Well, it depends on how long he's out. Uh, he If he's on the IR, he can only come back in three games at minimum. Right. Uh, but if it depends on, you know, we don't know how long he's hurt for. But I, I, at the very minimum, it's three games, yeah. So you're looking to not see him here Wednesday, tonight, or on Friday against Edmonton. So there's a possibility he comes back after the Edmonton game next Friday after Thanksgiving. But uh, Gibson, luckily, not injured. Just has the flu. Uh, so that's good news for the Ducks. Ryan Miller's a very capable backup. Um Luke Shin clears waivers. Not a surprise there. Goes to San Diego. Um, going into this game, 
I, I really liked, uh, you know, the Ducks' chances, to be honest with you here. I know that this this uh, this Avs team is really strong and potent, but I know the Ducks have been playing better hockey. They played pretty well against Toronto for the most part. It wasn't a complete collapse like I thought there could have been. Um, but taking a look at uh, the game tonight, I felt the Ducks uh, would make more of their chances. And I, I like you said, I think after the second period, they just never caught back up. No, not really. And uh, you know, I kind of want to touch on that uh, the Gibson news today. It was <laughs> the the Ducks again? They love to create some havoc with the the time in between that stuff goes up on their website before they announce it. But seeing Kevin Boyle's name there, and then we are seeing the star beside the name on the roster is is meaning they're on the IR update throughout the day. So the star became beside Lindholm's name. And I was fully <laughs> expecting to see that star just pop up beside John Gibson's name, just because of the injury issues we've had all season. I was just like, oh. It's, it's going to get there. It's going to happen. Obviously, not a big deal. I would expect John Gibson to be back for the next game. I don't think he's going to be out that I'd long so. with the flu. Yeah, you would think Hope- it wouldn't be too bad. Hopefully not. But, yeah, I, I, I we'll get into the game here. But I, I think it was a, a pretty good effort from them for the most part. Um, I hate to say like a 40-minute effort or, you know, they got to play a full 60 minutes. I hate that phrase. Um, but when you look at the way they played this game, they kind of broke down a bit after the midway point of the second period, or whether that's bre- them breaking down or just the fact that that top line for the Avalanche took over. But uh, you could really see the pace of play change. For sure. I, I, definitely, you, you stop seeing the clean and Chris passes out of the uh, defensive zone and through the neutral zone on the fly. The Avs did a real good job of snuffing them out on the forecheck. So that kind of negated the Ducks offense at that point. But let's let's start from the beginning here. Let's go from the first period. Um, Ducks were buzzing early, man. I mean, Grubauer had to be huge there. He made a nice save on, on Jakob Silverberg's breakaway. Ducks come back out with another good shift. And then shortly later, Brandon Montour comes in, uh, collects a rebound from Auberg. Auberg with a great zone entry there, kind of holds up, doesn't panic with the puck, puts it on net. Grubauer a little overplays, uh, comes out to the, a little – far on his side of the crease I felt like and uh, Montour just up on the play is able to take the puck wrap it around and in and it's all of a sudden one nothing it, it's kind of something we haven't seen too much from Brandon Montour at times this year where he actually pinches into the play to to make an offensive opportunity like that and we saw it all game from him today I think that's a, a big step for him he's being asked to do a lot with uh Cam Fowler and Hampus Lindholm out of the lineup especially offensively and uh, a great play for him to recognize that Grubauer was kind of a little bit too far over to the left side and to just try and get that in front of the net. Um, gets a bit lucky, of course, that uh, Grubauer actually does a great job to go across and get his pad on it and just kind of sneaks through underneath it. But Brandon Montour, I mean, what can you, what more can you say about him in this game? Just the, the effort that he was putting out offensively was great. It was, I think, probably his best game of the year. He had a hell of a game, and he was paired with the youngster, Josh Mahura. So that's a that's a big task for him, right? He's got to carry around the youngster. Um, Mahura didn't look too bad in this game at all either. I felt like especially in the first period and parts of the second period, he was really good. So Ducks come back around here in the in the first period. I thought it was a dominant first period by Anaheim for the most part. Um, I thought there was going to be a little more uh, pushing and shoving and maybe even some some fights here with what uh, Nikita Z- Zadorov was causing trouble around. First pissing off Nick Ritchie on the side of the net first, you know, after the whistle play, and then pissing off. Uh, I mean, Ryan Getzoff looks like a freaking old West Sheriff with that stash. Oh, so uh, <laughs> he gets he gets a little upset with Zadorov too. But amazingly, Randy Carlisle's Ducks uh, don't take penalties with with Zadorov there and uh, pop him in the face or anything. But I thought there could have been more of that going on. There could have been. Uh, the the Avalanche have some feisty players, like you said. They've got Zadorov, Soderberg's known to kind of get in those areas and be that type of guy as well. Um, so the, they're definitely a team. There's a bit of history between these guys. Uh, Landis Kaga, again, he's a guy who loves to get involved in that. He plays on the edge. He sometimes crosses it. We've seen him uh, have suspensions before, have some borderline hits. So I, I kind of expected that. But the games that we've expected that from, we haven't really seen it. The Kings game, we expected that. Expected it to be feisty. Uh, even the Flames game, we expected uh, something out of that one, but not a ton. In uh, this one, you know, the Ducks, every time they seem to play the Avalanche, there's something that goes on. Uh, but that was really it. That that play with Zadorov and Getzlaff were kind of wrestling a bit. That was pretty much it. There wasn't a lot of physicality and not a lot of uh, guys boiling over at all. No, and it's kind of missing out of the Ducks game, I feel like, for what they've always been known for. So maybe there's a change in what's going on. Maybe it's just full of youngsters, and, and that's not their style. But... Uh... 
That's neither here nor there in this in this first period. Miller's forced to make a couple of solid saves before we get out of the first period. But the Ducks would come out of it with a one nothing lead. Shots 11-9 to in favor of the Avalanche. I even wrote in the notes here, I was surprised. You know, honestly, a solid all-around period. Avs didn't have a lot of dangerous chances. They had a couple. So I know the show, I know the scoring chances over the course of the game were brutal uh, in favor of uh, the Avalanche here. But, I mean, when it comes to what what was perceived as like really dangerous shots on net, I didn't feel Miller had to make a ton on the first. Not really, no. Uh, I think it was a pretty good period from the Ducks, uh, probably their best period of the game and in the way they controlled play. Uh, and they seem to generate a lot of offensive opportunities. I think they got the puck out really well. Uh, a play by Josh Maher that we we tweeted out a gif of, uh, just his patience with the puck where he had two uh, Avalanche players closing in on him. Uh, he waits, holds against the boards, turns around pretty quickly, and gets the puck out easily to Ricard Raquel. So what I've noticed the last three games for the Ducks is they're able to get the puck out a lot easier than we saw uh, in the beginning of the season. And their zone entries are, are relatively cleaner. They're still not perfect. They're, they're obviously still not uh, top half of the league, but they're better than what they were doing in the beginning half. The goals aren't really coming yet, but I think that's a way you kind of start generating offense as you clean up some of those parts of your game, getting the puck out of your own zone, getting clean zone entries, getting set up. I, I think they're starting to figure that out. That's good. And they need it. They need to do that, right? Um, yeah. Going into the second period, uh, the Avs get all the pressure in the beginning of the second period. It felt like Ducks get on the power play. Um, not really much going on in there either. It's kind of been a sloppy power play for most of the year. They've had some flashes where they've scored goals and looked okay, but uh, just another boring power play there for the Ducks. Um, it didn't. I didn't really feel like they created any sort of pressure, but then uh, it just – the Avs would get on – or no, excuse me, the Ducks would end up finding a way to get on the board – and what I thought was going to be a lackluster power play. But, I mean, to get before that, i got to mention, I almost forgot, Andrew Ghetto <laughs> scores Ghetto. a goal. I know, my mouse <laughs> moved. I was like, wait, didn't the abs tie it up? Yeah, Andrew Ghetto yeah. with a goal. I felt like there could have been a penalty here in the second period. Oh, sure. uh, cross-checks Walensky. I mean, say what you want if you think Walensky fell down on the play a little easy. He did take a cross-check in the back, and Andrew Ghetto's not a tiny guy. Um, it, it puts Walensky face first on the ice, and he ends up getting the feed, and it's 1-1. Yeah, I definitely thought there should have been a penalty on this one. Uh, really, Walensky isn't doing too much to initiate any contract or any contact with Sven Andrigetto, and uh, he just gives him a nice cross check right in the back. And, and you know, maybe he goes down a little bit easy, but still, it, that is a direct play by Andrigetto that leads to a goal. He's wide open only because he cross checks Walensky down to the ice and. You know, I don't know how they miss that. They obviously give the makeup call after that, but it's a little bit late, right? Like, yeah, the Ducks do score on that power play after that, but that's a penalty you have to call, and and the Ducks would at that point still be up one nothing. And you know, say what you want about the about the Ducks broadcast too. A lot of people call them a bunch of homers, right? They're like, oh, yeah. you know, the, you know, the refs didn't want to call a penalty when Getzloff gets tripped later on here. Um, they don't make the call, but it's like you got to make the best of your chances in this game, and eventually it kind of all rolls back together, and you know you decide your own fate most of the time. Uh, like you said, Zadorov ends up getting a penalty. He completely grabs uh, Sherwood through the neutral zone. He takes a seat for two minutes, and the Ducks get on the board with the power play. As I was just ripping it, actually looking too far ahead. Getzloff wires it. I don't think Grubauer even had a chance at seeing this because he was moving no. to his right. Puck goes to his left and goes almost top corner there. Um, completely blind on the play, I felt Grubauer was. But Getzloff shoots the puck and he scores, man. We've been saying it for a long time. Yeah, you had, uh, I think, Henrik and Auberg were both screening Grubauer. And you watch it and, and Grubauer guesses the wrong side of the ice. <laughs> and it's a seeing eye shot there. After that, it goes right to the top corner. But it's a great shot by Getzloff. Honestly, it, you know, he recognizes that there's a screen. He kind of pulls it in, maybe fakes that he's going to shoot it to the other side. And this is a perfect play shot up to the top right corner. So this is why Getzlaff needs to shoot the puck more. I mean, it's it's he's a smart enough guy. He knows, uh, you know, his hockey IQ obviously is off the charts, and and that's almost like a pass for him. You look at it, it's like a it's like he plays that like it's a saucer pass where you know he pulls it in and just kind of floats it into the top corner. Yeah, no, and not a chance like we said. And so the Ducks would score the power play goal there, and then not too much later. Ducks get on the board with their third goal of the night. Andre Kasha with his first of the year on a drive up the ice by Brandon Montour. Montour comes in. What do you mean? You shake your head at me like this. What? 
I don't know. I Gets no off scores, makes They're it two one. Kasha comes in and makes it three one. I'm, <laughs> I'm reading your notes and like they blended in together. I was like, wait a minute, what's going on? Okay, he shakes yeah, his yeah, head yeah, so at me. I'm... in the live broadcast. That's hilarious. No, I messed up before, man, but I'm on point this time. Kasha with the beautiful deflection, driving to the front of the net. Montour with the hard pass, shot pass, I guess you could say. Kasha gets his stick on it, goes up and over the shoulder of Grubauer, and now it's 3-1. Yeah, uh, it was a great play to get it out. Getzlaff ends up uh, catching the pass off from one of the Avalanche players. And again, it's Brendan Montour uh, getting into the rush, making a play, throws it on net, and, and Andre Kasha, it's a great effort for him to tip the, the puck on net and, and – Finally, he breaks through. I mean, this guy's putting up four or five shots per game since coming back. Had a ton of chances over the last few games. It was a matter of time before he put one into the back of the net. Again, he was probably one of the Ducks' best players in this game. And it's, it's really nice to see him break through. Um, not, on a, I guess, a traditional goal that you would expect. Because, again, if you're thinking of Andre Cash, and when he puts Buck in the back of the net, you're thinking of uh, either a breakaway or, uh, you know, a really good placed wrist shot or, or some kind of move where, you know, he's creating offense. But uh, he can get it done anyway. And it, it's, again, his speed getting into the rush and help, helping out Brandon Montour there that gets the Ducks the third goal. I mean, speaking of speed, I think after this goal is where you see the fall off. After this goal by the Ducks, this is where the Avs take over. That line by McKinnon comes out and just has an extended stay. It's, I mean, not to sound cheesy, but it's like they could just do whatever they wanted. They could spend the day, the night, make lunch, make dinner in the, in the Ducks offensive yeah. zone for real. I know Henrique loses his stick on a play, and I mean, it just it seemed like the Ducks would come close to getting it up, but the Avs are just buzzing around. Um, so dominant is Nathan McKinnon, man. That guy's unreal. Miller having to make all kinds of saves, a huge one on Rantanen in front of the net on a deflection. Um then the Ducks come back a little. I guess they get somewhat of a dominant shift there from the gets off line. But I mean, honestly, man, Eddie, it's just it was a a Miller show from here on out for the Ducks. Yeah, nothing in comparison to the type of uh, looks that the the Avalanche were getting. I mean, the Ducks had their chances here or there throughout the game, a couple good looks, um, usually off of defensive miscues from the Avalanche. But uh, McKinnon, Ronton, and Landeskog just woke up and took over this game. And I was surprised it took that long for them, honestly, because of how good they've been all year. They were kind of asleep, and I think maybe they're taken a little bit off guard. I don't think they expected the Ducks to come out and play the way they did, similar to how the, the Ducks played the Leafs uh, two nights ago, where you looked in that game and, and they kind of came out a, a lot faster and a lot better than we expected. But then uh, really after that, it was McKinnon and Ronton who just took over, and they're so good. It ridiculous and it's this new type of thinking that coaches have nowadays where you're loading up that top line and, and in some cases it works out it works out in Colorado it works out in Boston uh, in other cases it doesn't uh, I mean it's sort of working out with the Ducks right when you've got Getzlaff, Raquel and Andre Kasha all lined up on uh, the top line you could argue that those are the three best forwards right so mm -hmm. some cases it works out some cases it doesn't but for Colorado it's uh, it's amazing just how good they all are together no, for sure, and you're going to see a little bit of that here as we get get uh, get along here in the second period. Landisaw goes to the box for interference. Ducks, this is where I was reading at the wrong place, by the way. Ducks uh, just can't make any work of the power play. It was messy uh, to, at you know at best. They got set up, but it just I felt like they just couldn't get anything going there on the power play. And then Monty goes to the box. Now he's this is where his perfect game started slipping away, right? Goes to the box. Yeah. He gets a two-minute interference call. He takes a free hand off his stick and grabs an Avs player in front of the net. I believe it might have been Rontanen, actually. Uh, Avs go to work on the power play, and that's that's not a good thing right now because Nathan McKinnon just wants this game back. And uh, it ends up being a just a point shot. It gets deflected in front of Miller. Never makes it all the way through. I believe it goes off Manson's skate. And so Miller's set and then has to drop, sees the puck move, and at that point it's too late because – you have Nathan McKinnon on the side of that who just buried. He one times it essentially a perfect deflection into the back of the net. Now we got a three-two game. You got to look at the first two games for the Abs. There's not much the Ducks could do, right? I, I mean, the first one, it's a play that probably should have been a penalty. So Walensky's out of position and Andre Ghetto is open. On this one, it hits either Landis Cog or Manson skate, and it goes right to Nathan McKinnon, who's wide open. Otherwise, that's not a goal because. Mm -hmm. McKinnon is in a good spot, obviously, for a rebound, but there's no telling that if it hits Ryan Miller's pads or if it gets through to the net, that's even going to come out to him. Uh, it's, it's a tough break because you can't really blame Ryan Miller. You can't even really blame Josh Manson. They were doing pretty well 
covering everybody on the ice as you can against a, a great power play like that. But you know, it's it's a lucky bounce that falls to a player who's red hot, uh, and it's it's a tough one. I mean, the the Ducks obviously luckily were still up three two, but I think that's kind of a momentum shift for them there because you know you know there's nothing you can do on that play. Um, but that really, I think, sparked Nathan McKinnon and, and Miko Ranton and it got them into the game. Yeah, and the Ducks probably had their best chance after that power play goal. Essentially, I mean, I want to say, honestly, it's probably the rest of the game. Their best chance came here uh, to end the second period. Andre Kasha on a breakaway on a great stretch pass from Ryan Getzloff. Uh, the puck rolls just a little far on him, but he's able to corral it. Grubauer makes a stretch save. That guy did the splits and was post-to-post. Didn't realize he had his blocker over the puck, and nobody was able to find the puck in time. But uh, Kasha had a chance to pot his second of the game and the season here, but Grubauer makes the save. Uh, that's what I mean. I mean, Andre Kasha, the last four games, he's been all over the place. And obviously we know he's been he's putting a ton of shots on net. Uh, but just, again, using his speed, getting the breakaway, it's a great move. I mean, again, you can't really fault Andre Kasha no. for that. He does he does everything. He does everything maybe except elevate the puck. And and that's difficult to do when you're in tight like that. Uh, but Grubauer able to make the, the, the splits, and we saw that a lot in Washington last year. And, and I guess this is the reason – that the, the avalanche brought him into the fold is he's able to make saves like these at big moments. You know, if the Ducks score that, that's not too long after the the, the second goal for the avalanche. That's a, a big momentum shift for the Ducks, and they would go into the third period with a two-goal lead, which is huge. So, I mean, I love the effort from Andre Kasha, but that's a great save. Probably Grubauer's best of the night. Easily. Easily his best. He wasn't tested much after this. to hate to, uh, you know, uh, ruin the rest of the story for those of you who didn't watch the game, but that was essentially the Ducks' best chance here. Going into the third period now, Ducks are up 3-2. to two. Avs come out with just flying with pressure, and then another power play for Anaheim. They need to fix the power play, too. Um, I'm, I don't want to be you know negative Nancy, or whatever there's you want to call things. it, but there's a lot of things to talk about when it comes to what the Ducks need to fix. I know we've all been talking about uh, getting rid of Carlisle, maybe a head coaching change here, but if they would have made do on a power play or two, at least one, this changes the course of the game. Um, they they can't figure out how to make the power play work. And, and I think part of the reason why uh, Raquel's been ineffective with his with his scoring is probably because his power play numbers are down. Right? Um, yeah. He's clearly not not effective on the power play right now either. So they they abs easily kill that off. Um, the Ducks seem to have some sort of weird pressure in the third period, but it just wasn't generating offense. It was that whole let's play the the perimeter game where they just skate along the boards and then eventually just becomes a turnover. Um, and before we get to the goal, how did you feel about how the Ducks came out in the third? It didn't seem desperate to me. I mean, they were up 3-2, and they kind of just closed it down offensively. This is typical effort from the Ducks in the third period when they're going in with a lead. They just always sit back. And, and I get that. That's a strategy for a lot of teams. But when you're missing Cam Fowler, you're missing Hampus Lindholm, you know, you're you're missing some key players defensively. Uh, that's not something you necessarily want to do because most of the time you're going to have, or at least half the time, you're going to have Pedersen, Walensky, Larson, or Josh Maher out there. And they're all rookies, and eventually there's going to be a mistake that's made or you're going to have one of them matched up against Mika Rontanen or Nathan McKinnon, uh, and they're going to make a mistake. And it's a tough strategy to try and employ, especially against one of the best lines in the league. Uh, one of the best power plays in the league and just sitting back and, and allowing them to do whatever they want. I mean, that's exactly what the, the avalanche want is for you to sit back and let Nathan McKinnon come into the zone with the puck and get set up. And you know, that ultimately is what leads to the third goal for the avalanche. And, and the Ducks just came out flat. Yeah. Let's talk about that third goal. Ranton and from behind the net feeds McKinnon, who is just standing alone in the slot. Nobody there. I mean, yeah. if, I, if I want to get mad at somebody here, I'm looking at Ryan Kessler as much as I like him. Um, I mean, he I, I don't want to take anything away from Nathan McKinnon because he's a great player. And we've been saying it since we started this podcast this, uh, tonight. But you can't let that guy be open in the slot like that. When someone's going no. behind the net on their forehand, by the way, when a guy gets chased out from behind the net on, his, on their forehand, you know he's looking to pass. You know he's looking for that slot pass, and why isn't anyone on McKinnon? It just take a split second for McKinnon to bury it right there, and all of a sudden it's three three. It's a tough play for Jakob Larson because it, it's not a pretty play for him. And again, I know it's Miko Ranton, and there's a huge size difference there. Ranton is six right. four; he's a lot bigger guy 
than Jakob Larson is. Uh, but he just gets bullied behind the net. I, I mean, Larson just bounces off the back of Rontanen, mm-hmm. who just easily shields him off. Um, so, so again, part of the blame goes there. But how do you leave Nathan McKinnon wide open? I mean, that's probably Ryan Kessler's guy. And you see him just kind of lost in the center of the ice, not really paying attention to who's around him. Again, a little bit of puck watching on his part. How do you not and, know where he is on the ice? That's I mean, that's the to. best player, period, yeah, yeah, on the ice you, at that you point. You have to. And that's Ryan Kessler's job. So that's why I think a lot of the blame here goes on him because you know, his job is to cover those slot chances, especially when you're setting up against the opposing team's mm-hmm. best line. He's doing that on a nightly basis. Didn't have a great game against John Tavares in Toronto. Was one of the uh, you're looking at shot attempts. He was the his line was the worst line. But Tavares do whatever he wanted on on Friday. It's it's, it's <laughs> to be expected to some extent, right? Because right. When you're going against top players like that, likely you're going to be on the opposite end of shot attempts. And, and uh, you know you look at Silver Kessler, Coglano. That's not a line that's going to generate a lot of offense. So you, that's expected. But these are the types of plays that you kind of make up for that for where you're you're covering your man. You're not leaving Nathan McKinnon open in the slot for a free one-timer on uh, Ryan Miller. So that that's where they have to make up for it. And unfortunately, the last few games, they haven't been doing that. They've been having some defensive miscues, which have led to goals. And it's tough. I, I understand it's a tough job for Ryan Kessler to have to do that, especially when he's probably still not at 100% or he's not the Ryan Kessler that we're used to. But come on. I mean, if you're not doing that, it, somebody's got to get tasked with going against the opposing team's top players, if, if Ryan Kessler and, and company are going to have these mistakes. Let's talk about this. Um, much of the rest of this third period was all Avs. I mean, there's yeah. really not much to talk about on the, on the Ducks side of things. I mean, other than Ryan Miller played outstanding tonight, I, I feel like he is the reason why the Ducks even made it to overtime. Um, but we, we have to talk about the situation here. So Ryan Kessler is assigned to, to play against the best, essentially the best players on the other team every single night. Uh, you look yeah. around the league, there's always a center that is designated for that. Not everyone gets the opportunity to have an Austin Matthews and a John Tavares or a Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. So I understand that. But what the Ducks seem to to not understand is that Ryan Kessler, or maybe they have understood it, but they don't have a choice but to play him, right? He's locked up long-term, he's getting paid big dollars, and they know he's coming off injury. But, but he's like a third-line center to. at this point. It doesn't and mean you it, have to play him against the best uh, I, the best players in other team, right? I, but I would go ahead and say it, man. I think Ryan Getzloff's a better defensive center than Ryan Kessler. Uh, Getzloff probably is really underrated in the defensive zone. I was showing my kid tonight; we were watching. I'm like, see how low Getzloff goes to block the slot, to block passes. He's down. I mean, that guy plays a full 200 foot game. Not saying Kessler doesn't, but Ryan Getzloff is much more effective at it at this point. So you kind of don't really know what to do if you're if you're the Ducks manager, right? You have to either put your best offensive player on the ice, which is Ryan Getzloff, to try to try to create plays and drive play, or you put him out against McKinnon and let McKinnon, you know, drag him around the ice too, right? And Getzloff's going to have to expend all yeah. kinds of energy doing that. It's a hard decision for Anaheim, but uh, the Brian Kessler of old is gone. Uh, he's I hate to say it because I really like Ryan Kessler. I don't want to bash him like that, but he just ha- doesn't have that step anymore. I, I haven't been impressed with his game to start the year. The problem is, is that's his role. That's always been his role. He's never yep. really been an offensive guy other than when he was playing on the wing with the Sedins in Vancouver and a couple of times where at center when he was a lot younger that uh, you know he was still putting up points. And, and it was a different type of game that was played back then where it kind of suited his style of play. You know, now he's been through a couple injuries. Obviously, he's not going to be the same guy. But the problem is, just that's what you're that's what you're paying him for mm-hmm. is to go out there and do that. And, and if he's no longer, you know, if he's not going to be able to do that anymore, it might be more beneficial to put Ryan Getzlaff out there. It might be more beneficial to put Adam Henrique even as a defensive center against the uh, opposing team's best line. The problem is then is what's Ryan Kessler going to do because right. that's what he's supposed to do. So you're, you're looking at uh, kind of a cost benefit analysis for that, thinking you know if we use Adam Henrique in that role and use him as a defensive center. We're losing offense from that line and probably not gaining it from a different matchup with Ryan Kessler, no matter what, because, you know, Kessler and Cogliano, not the best guys offensively. It's probably not going to really matter too much if they're playing against Nathan McKinnon or if they're playing against the opposing team's second best line. They're they're not going to generate too many chances anyway. Silverberg, again, he's just kind of on that line. He's the only guy that can get any offense going, but it's tough when you're 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 really focused on defense so that's what you're kind of weighing up the option is is do i take henrik away from maybe a favorable matchup 
use him as a defensive center and then lose that secondary scoring or that that secondary scoring option uh, when he, maybe Henry gets matched up against an opposing team's third line, which isn't as good. That's what I think they're weighing, but it, it's a tough decision right now because Ryan Kessler isn't getting it done, and you know that's not fully his fault. He's he's been through a, a tremendous recovery with his injury, and it's a tough one to come back from. But you know, I mean, look, everybody it meets the end of the road for a career, right? Not yeah. saying this is Kessler's end of the road, but everyone ages, everyone gets gets worse as they get older. Um, maybe he has to adjust his game, right, to stay to stay in the league and find a different, a different pathway to success. I don't know what the answer is for Ryan Kessler. I just know he's not nearly as effective as he used to be. Well, Alex asked in the chat on YouTube. He asked, "Does Kessler look a hundred percent to you?" Not to me. No, I don't. He's just not playing that same role. He doesn't look yeah. effective when he. Uh, it's, when what does one hundred percent anymore of Ryan Kessler look like? That's the problem. We're we're so used to comparing him to Kessler before the injury. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's a hundred percent, I don't think he's ever going to get get back to that. I think the the hundred percent term is different for Ryan Kessler now. It's it's maybe this is a hundred percent for him, right? It, it it all depends on what your opinion of Ryan Kessler being at a hundred percent is. So this might be a hundred percent of what he can can do now. I don't think he's going to do much more than what he's doing now. He's going to occasionally contribute to the goal every now and then, have a pretty good game. If he gets a, a pretty good matchup, maybe not against the best line in the National Hockey League, then his defense numbers are going to be a little bit better. But, you know, I, I definitely think he looks not the greatest, looks better than last year. But to be honest, this might be 100% of what Ryan Kessler can give. I mean, look, if you buy him out, I had a, a, a Connor in our chat here and Spreaker says Kessler buyout coming. It, it wouldn't be able to happen until summer. You can't buy out a guy midseason, right? So yeah. you're looking at what's gonna what would happen is that he would he has three years left on his deal after this year, at six point six seven five million dollars. Um, the Ducks would have to pay him two point four two five for the next six years. So that's how the buyout would work. That's the cap hit. So I mean they they get to save a good chunk of money, but they're just going to be paying beyond the cap or beyond his contract about you know two point two two five for the for three years after his contract would end. So I don't think it's a smart move because usually you buy out a guy if you're, you're looking to still be competitive for those three years, or you know if you're looking to be competitive for those years that uh, he's there, so you can take that off and get that extra four million um, over the next two years, right? That's that's usually what you're doing. So Kessler has three years left after this, or is it two years left after this year? He's got three, three after this year. Okay, so if you were gonna buy him out, you're you're kind of expecting to be competitive for those next three years and using that cap space in a way that will try and make you competitive. I think the Ducks are almost at the end of their window, so they might as well just ride it out with the end of his contract and then have the full uh, six or whatever over six million dollars available after his contract's up. I think that's a a better option when you look at the direction this team's going in. Uh, if you wait the three years, a lot of the guys that are still in this team, like Raquel, the younger guys, Cash, all the rookies coming up, they're still going to be in either their early to late 20s and still going to be a big part of this team and able to start a new run, hopefully. Uh, but if you buy them out, then you kind of eat into any kind of cap you would have. You you have that extra $2.4 million that's going to be playing a factor when Ryan Kessler is not there and when you're trying to establish that other run. And that could be a big deal, especially if you're trying to re-sign some new guys or looking at grabbing somebody in free agency or looking to make a trade. That would come up, I think, more of an issue than Ryan Kessler's contract will be in the next three years. 100%. We got a lot to talk about with this Ducks roster. I feel like we could we could continue this conversation. Let's wrap up the game. Uh, real quick, though, shout out to Lonnie Roy uh, for subscribing to us on YouTube. Appreciate that. I uh, saw that just pop up here in my window, so I thought I'd give a shout out. Um, looking at the rest of this game, Ducks go to overtime, give up the early 2-1-1 versus Miller. Miller with the guessing glove save, uh, as the broadcast put it, against Nathan McKinnon. Um, Getzloff gets a gets a nice wrist shot there on Grubauer going back to the way, but Grubauer just like stood up and just blockered it aside like it was nothing. Um, and then Mahura almost gets called for penalty uh, for knocking the yeah. net off the moorings. That was close, and I thought it was going to be a penalty for sure. And the backside referee's like, no, they hit shoulders, and that's why they're not going to call it. Didn't seem to matter because uh, the Avs were flying. Um, Montour is able to get a chance on Grubauer, but he makes a save. I wrote this in the notes. We've been talking about playing fast all year. The Ducks need more damn speed. Like, cutting through that neutral zone, it was just so slow. They didn't have anyone. Yeah. This is where they really miss a Cam Fowler on the back end when Montour's on the ice. 
Sorry. I mean, I know that people either love or hate Cam for what he does or doesn't do, but he's a brilliant skater and a great puck moving defenseman and can create chances. And I feel like yeah. they, you know, it was really a standout to me in overtime that they missed a guy like Cam. Um, and then McKinnon ends up getting the drawing the call. Of course, he's just why wouldn't he draw the call on Auberg? Auberg forced to sit with 14 seconds to go. Ducks clear the damn zone after the ensuing faceoff. Um, and then I've heard so some people text me. People were hitting me up saying, uh, "Why? How could they let the you know the, the power play goal goal go in? Ranting in on the power play, just not a chance for Miller. Set up a course by McKinnon with 1.3 seconds left. One timer from the high slot. That's all she wrote. Ducks drop to the Avs. Wait, wait, I mean, what are you supposed to do on that play? That is just a great set play by McKinnon and Rantanen, and it's it's all set up by Nathan McKinnon. He carries the puck into the zone. He fools two Ducks players, cuts to the slot. Everybody's looking at him. He draws two players here, which is important because it leaves Mikko Rantanen open. He draws Manson and, I believe, Adam Henrique. He draws both of them in, which leaves Mikko Rantanen open for an easy shot. I mean, that's all Nathan McKinnon, and that's why he's one of the best players in this league because he has the ability to do that. He has the ability to make defenders and, and opposing forwards close in on him and create those two-on-one situations, and then he has the ability to make the pass out to the open guy. And, you know, I, 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 I want to try and blame the Ducks for this, but that's the thing. When you're going up against elite players like that, he was, he'd probably do that to, to any combination you put him at because you have to. I mean, as, as a player, you, you recognize how good this guy is, and you don't really want to take him on one-on-one, and you kind of get put in that situation where you kind of have to do a, a double team and two on one him. And unfortunately it leaves another great player like Ronton and open it. And it's a perfect shot from him too. I mean, he only has one place to really put that and that's in, in the top left corner, almost off the post. Uh, and he places it perfectly. I mean, you're talking about the points leaders in the NHL. Yeah. <laughs> Miko Ranton and leaves the NHL in points with 32. Uh, it's not like this is some fourth line guy getting a chance on the, uh, on an overtime power play for some random reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if that's under Ghetto that Henrik and Manson are closing in on in the double team, then maybe you could be upset about it. But it's it's Nathan McKinnon. I mean, you kind of have to do that on the play. Right. I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, it's hard to fault anybody there. I mean, I understand um, a couple of buddies were like, why don't they just take another penalty there and just you know, why, you know know line the clock down, someone just go take an interference call. That just doesn't run through a player's mind, I feel like. That's you're out there to kill the to kill the to kill the penalty. Um, sure, in hindsight, I guess you could say that, but uh, like like we said, that, that's all she wrote for tonight. Ducks drop four to three in overtime. Let's get to the post game part of the show where we talk about uh, we we spent a lot of time there on the Ducks roster and how it's constructed. And, and I took a look at Cap Friendly. We're talking about Ryan Kessler, um, but we got to talk about uh, some some questions here in chat. I like to keep us up to speed when people start asking them. But uh, Josh Nash. And Spreaker Chat says, if Raquel keeps failing to score goals, is anything expected to actually happen? Will Carlisle actually do anything? He just seems snake bit and needs something to shake him up after or, or to get him flowing again. What do you think about that? For Sorry, for who, Ryan Kessler? No, for uh, Ricard Raquel. Oh, for Ricard Raquel. I, yeah, I, I don't really know. And I think, again, you look at the fact that nobody's scoring on this team. And then, the, again, the power play, like you mentioned before, I think that's a good point to think of is that not that the Ducks' power play was good last year, but it's it's just anemic all year so far. The Ducks haven't been able to get anything going on it. So he takes a big hit there in points. And the way the system is set up is it's not really an offense-first system. And we've seen that the Ducks are near dead last in the league in goals going their second in goals per game going into second last sorry in goals per game going into this night with 2.05 only ahead of the kings by yeah. the way and they played two Which more is, games in the kings yeah so it, it could be very well bottom um this game helps a bit they scored three so that is, is better than what they were doing i mean 2.05 so three kind of bumps them up a bit they're probably still 30th uh, but as for Ricard Raquel, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say he's necessarily just snake bit. I think it's it's a product of how this team plays. The power play hasn't been good. All that going into it, I, I think everybody was kind of destined for a down year because of the way the Ducks play. Uh, when you play it this way, where you're not scoring a lot of goals, everybody on the team's going to suffer. And of course, I don't think Ricard Raquel's playing at the level he was last year. Um, but a lot of that just goes into the system that's set up here. So. Um, 
I, I don't fully blame him for it, but uh, you know, everybody goes on a down streak. Everybody gets on a hot streak. Uh, if, if he can put a couple games together and get some confidence going again, then that could be huge for him. But uh, I think the Ducks have taken a step in the right direction by putting Raquel with Kasher and Getzlaff. Because again, I still think despite not scoring tonight, Ricard Raquel and, and Andre Kasher were the best players for the Ducks. Ricard Raquel was probably slightly behind Kasher because Kasher obviously did get the goal. But I, I think he had another good game. And eventually, if these guys keep going the way they're going, the points are going to come for him. Yeah, they have to eventually, right? I mean, something, something's got to give at some point. Um, the Ducks just <clears throat> looking at their offense between last year and this year, it, there's clear differences. But I guess the one bright side, if you want to call it a bright side, Ducks fans, is that uh, the Pacific Division is so bad that there is a chance if you're hoping for a playoff run or a playoff game <laughs> for the Ducks, there's a huge possibility. When you're talking about goal scoring in the Pacific Division, the bottom four teams are all from the Pacific Division in this order. Kings dead last, Ducks second to dead last, Coyotes third to dead last, and Vegas fourth to dead last. So they got plenty of company in the Pacific. I don't know what it is, um, especially that Vegas team, <laughs> why they're so bad compared to last year offensively. Uh, yeah. But the Ducks do have hope to make the playoffs. I guess that's a bright spot. Sort of, but uh, you look at the fact that they played more games than pretty much everybody below them. The yeah. Ducks, like you said, 21 points in 22 games. Arizona's got 19 and 19, so all they have to do is win one of those games, and they're tied with the Ducks and still have a game in hand. Edmonton losing tonight, still have two games in hand on the Ducks, uh, only two points behind them. Vegas beat Edmonton tonight, is two points behind Anaheim with one game in hand. So basically, by the time all these teams catch up, the Ducks could go from fourth to seventh in a matter of two or three days. It, yeah. it all depends on, on how these games go. So that's how crazy this division is. I mean, the Ducks sitting in fourth, they're still only four points out of first, and they're only two points out of being in seventh. So it's a, it's a little bit ridiculous how, how this division's been. Nobody's really been able to establish any sort of run. I think the San Jose Sharks are finally starting to get things going, and things are going well consistently for them. Eric Carlson has started to put the puck in the back of the night. He scored his first goal the other day. Uh, Vancouver's fallen a bit down to earth, and I think it's it's about time. The two teams I said were going to run away with this division are starting to run away with this division. It's San Jose and Calgary, and I think that's uh, they're going to be, I think, leagues ahead of everybody else. Uh, and then it's just going to be a muddled mess for third and fourth. So the Ducks definitely have a chance because I can't see Vancouver. I can't see Arizona. I can't see Edmonton, Vegas running away and, and really taking a hold of third at this point. I don't see the difference really in, in, in you're looking at skill or anything that's going to make one of these teams break away. I don't really see it. I mean, what what's Vancouver have over the Ducks? You know, when you're comparing the two teams, I would I would argue the Ducks are probably a better team. Uh, Arizona, similar aspects. When you look at the team, Arizona's a little bit younger, but the Ducks have a little bit more star power when you take into consideration Ryan Getzlaff and Ricard Raquel. Uh, Edmonton maybe just because of the Connor McDavid factor mm -hmm. could run away with third place. That's the only team I could look at and say they have something over the Ducks that could pull them into that third place spot. So as, as bad as it's been and as bad as the Ducks have been playing, this division is, is so messed up and wide open. There's still a chance they could limp into the playoffs, maybe only even five games above 500. Yeah, but is that a good or bad thing, right? It's better just to miss the playoffs and up your draft pick at this point. I'm yeah, not saying tank the season, but I don't want them to crawl into eighth. You know what I mean? I, I just anything and then just get happen, and then though, just get right? crushed. Yeah, I know anything can. I, and I get we're a fourth of the way through the season, so yeah. No, I just mean in the playoffs. So it's one of those things that everybody says, just get in, and then anything can happen. And True. They, I think it's a little bit more likely with the Ducks that type of scenarios. Get in, anything can happen because if you have John Gibson, you can win games easily. Mm -hmm. He will win you games and. I think in the playoffs, there are players who take their game to another level. Ryan Getzloff is one of those guys. Corey Perry is one of those guys. Uh, usually he's one of those guys. He'll be back if the Ducks are going to make a playoff run, hopefully. Um, I think this is a team that if you get in, I'm not saying they're, they're going to win the Stanley Cup. I'm not saying they're Stanley Cup favorites. But I think of the other four teams we mentioned, I think out of everyone, if you just get in, the Ducks have a better shot of going farther than any of them do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially like you said with the muddled mess, right? <laughs> yeah, and just the the fact that 
out of all of them, you have the best goaltender, and all it takes to make a longer run than you're supposed to is a goaltender getting hot. So Yeah, it just changes I, the course I, of the game, essentially, right? Or a series. A, a big save can change the course of a lot in the playoffs. You're right. I, I'm, I know I'm a, I'm a bit negative when I'm talking about this team just because it's hard to uh, to navigate the positives throughout this, uh, the season so far. But uh, there's a couple of questions here I want to ask. A really interesting one here from Tom uh, on Twitter. He says, has the NHL ever considered doing what the NFL and NBA now do where they, where they acknowledge the officials blew a call that directly led to a score? The, the no call on the Walensky cross-check as an example, it would go a long way towards being more transparent. Interesting question. How do you feel about that? I I would like it, but the, the the NHL does not want to slow down this game. That's the last thing they want to do. Putting in coaches' challenge was hard enough, I think, for them because it creates another stoppage in play. But I think they put it in, of course, because it, it helps get things right. There's a balance between getting things right. I think he's talking about play. after the game, like the NHL or the NHL said they blew the call, like it was a blown call, like we should have oh, had well, that. That was a cross check. It should never have been. You know, there should never oh, have been I, a goal on that play. If that's the case, who cares after the game? It doesn't change anything. But just be um, more transparent like, on what they should call and shouldn't call. I, I get what he's saying. I if if I thought he meant like during the game they recognize they miss a call and they can overturn a goal i would that that would be something i would be for but i don't think the nhl would do it because again it slows down uh it slows down play and they don't really want that and it you know they've got the coaches challenge to try and get things right to try and get offsides right to try and get goalie interference right Uh, the last thing they want to do is is try and uh, undermine their officials by saying oh this guy didn't get the right call so now we're going to overturn this goal it doesn't it doesn't speak to something the NHL normally does. They they don't really want to admit they're wrong. They, they never really have. Want, yeah, you know. they're they're whenever they're wrong about something, they never want to admit it. I like the idea though because, I mean, it puts more onus on their on the referees and linesmen to be better, right? I mean, it, they're not going to change what they do in game. Like, like you said, they already talked about, you know, having the goalie interference rule, uh, the offside rule, those things where they can do the coach's challenge on those plays. But uh, that's about as far as the NHL is probably willing to go uh, in order to pull back a goal, right? I mean, it's yeah. just it's just not going to happen. Um, but I like the idea. Like, hey, we messed up. It's good to know that that's what our officials should have caught that. And, again, it puts, puts more of the onus on the officials there to make the correct call. Um, Kent in Twitter says, uh, this is more of a joke. I always like when questions start off with that. Um, when a professional athlete gets sick, who do they call? GM, BM, RC, or a trainer? Do they still go to the game? Really just curious, breaking the serious questions up. <laughs> I don't I don't get that. I, I'm sure he, they I'm sure he like texts the I'm sure he like texts Bob. <laughs> hey man, I'm yeah. sick. Or maybe they show because they all I, I mean they all show up for game day unless he's like Are definitely like calling Ill. in sick for work. <laughs> right. I'm sure he was like I'm sure if you're like deathly ill, you just phone it in. You probably call Bob. Um, but if you're not, then you show up to the morning meeting. I'm sure they have morning meetings at game before games, the morning skate, right? And then you, you know you see a trainer. Yeah, man, you're sick. Yeah, you shouldn't be playing tonight. You stay hydrated. I think they go see a trainer probably no matter what. Right, I, I that's think, their doctor. Yeah, so they would or whoever they asked, they'd say, yeah, go see one of the trainers and and we'll you know make sure that you get treated for whatever it is because they, they have to diagnose it, right? They have to find out what it is. So, you know, Gibson can say he has the flu. But uh, I would rather go to <laughs> like, a team oh, no. doctor he's, or he's, a trainer. He's playing hooky tonight. <laughs> yeah, or that, or it could be something more serious, or it could be something less serious, right? Mm-hmm. So you you always want to go to a team doctor or a trainer to find out what that is. I'm sure that's probably the first place they would go. I would think. Right. Um, another question on Twitter. I think the last one we've got here. Mahura looks solid, and this is why I didn't bring it up earlier. Because I knew we had a question about it. Mahura looks solid so far. Any chance he stays with the big club after the injuries? That's a tough question. That's a tough He's probably one. Probably up here for the next uh, two games. I least. didn't think he was. We were going to see him at all this year, and I got called out for that uh, by our good buddy Jimmy. Uh, yeah. You know, Pat said it wasn't going to happen, and it did. Um, and they've already got Walensky in the lineup, and Larson in the lineup, and now you're talking about another kid. They are, they already have Pedersen in the lineup. Jake Docton's um, up as well. Docton's uh, Docton's up as well. You, you said so. Mahura looked really good, but he also played with the with the Ducks' best defender on the night. Let's see how it goes. Um, is they got a uh, another superstar coming into town on Wednesday with Elias Patterson will be here, and then they have Connor McDavid on Friday. So McKinnon, Patterson, <laughs> and McDavid. Uh, let's see how they fare after that. That's what I'm curious yeah. to see how they play after these next couple of games. I, I think you're right though. He's gonna be, he's gonna be in the lineup the next two. Yeah, or, do, or, he'll, or he'll sit for Docton one night. 
Yeah, then, but then they would have to move Larson down to the bottom pairing, and they seem to be comfortable with Pedersen Walensky. That seems to be what they're going with, or, or maybe even Pedersen and, and Docton. That that could be uh, the likely thing they're going to go, because I think they like having uh, Jakob Larson either being able to play on the right or the left. So what it looks like right now is it's going to be Larson and Banson, like it was today, uh, Mahura and Montour, and then Pedersen and Walensky. I would like to see Docton get in at least for one game. Um, why else would you call him up, right? You might as well keep him down there. I think maybe he gets in for the next game uh, over Walensky. That's what I would like to see because I want to see what he can bring to this team. I want to see uh, if he's a better option than Shatner or Schuster or Walensky. I think he is. Um, I think he would be a, a better option uh, long-term than any of those guys. So he's the easiest one to kind of switch in and switch out. So I think, And I think they want to see Josh Mahura and what he can do. This was a, a good NHL debut for him. Not great, uh, but he's got two more games to prove himself. I, I think no matter what, though, he probably gets sent back down because yeah. Hamas Lindholm's coming back into the lineup, right? So well, who are you going to send down after that? Uh, Pedersen Walensky have been up here for pretty much most of the season. Jakob Larson has been up here for a while, and it, you know he hasn't looked great, but the easy option is to send down Josh Mahura. Don't want to have to move him to the right side if you don't have to. So I think likely he gets sent down when Lindholm comes back. Uh, let's move our questions over to Facebook. Uh, my A buddy of mine, Dave, wrote, uh, how much do you think they won it tonight? Enough? And that was when the Ducks were winning. And then he answered his own question and said no. Answer, they did not want it enough. Yeah. So <laughs> unfortunately, it didn't work out. Um, uh, another friend of mine, Dan, on uh, Facebook says, why should Anaheim bother activating anyone on the IR if they play like this with a bunch of kids and the backup goalie? Interesting. That was probably written at the secondary mission. <laughs> Interesting, right? Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's just it's. I, I see what people are saying. We keep the kids up, but yeah. um, you just you just can't. Well, I mean, what are you gonna do? Like you said, uh, Hampus Lindholm is better than any other defenseman on this team. When you're talking about the guys that uh, have been pulled up from the AHL, sorry, right? I mean, I'm, yeah, well, I'm gonna say Lindholm's better. Too? Like, are you gonna bench guys? You know, you can't. You, you can't, can't bench these it. guys. It's a nice you, thought because I know a lot of yeah. Ducks fans want that youth movement, the growth to come back, right? And uh, just say F it and let's just play a bunch of kids and, and see what we get out of the season. Bob Murray's not in that mindset yet. Uh, he, no, no team state. can do that. With right. the, if you look at any any GM, any coach, if you take what the Ducks roster is right now, you, you can't, can't do, do it. it. You can't because you've got guys locked in the contracts and you've got good players who you would rather be playing. You know, let's just look at the lines tonight. You're not moving anybody off that top line. You're no. not sending them anywhere, benching anybody. You're not going to bench anybody on uh, Henrik's line with uh, Richie and Auberg. You know, normally I would say uh, on a normal circumstance, if Auberg wasn't playing the way he was playing, he's a guy you could say maybe you would send down, but he's got six goals in his last 11 games. So you have to keep him up at this point. Uh, Cogliano, Kessler, Silverberg, you can't do anything with those guys. You can't bench them. You can't send them down. Uh, and then the fourth line is really the only thing you can work with, which is where we've seen Kylie Kosala when he's up, which we've seen Sam Carrick down there. You know, So that's where all the guys go. And at that point, why send a guy through waivers if you can send a young kid down to the minors who's waiver exempt? And, and that's all the guys we've seen sent down. Troy Terry, Sam Steele, Isaac Lindstrom, Josh Maher, whenever he gets sent back down. They're all waiver exempt. It's an easy move for, for the general manager to make. Don't have to worry about losing a guy. The last thing you want to do, no matter how bad the players or how bad you think the players, the last thing you want to do is lose them for nothing, right? If you, The Ducks don't want to lose Brian Gibbons for nothing. No. So they're not going to send him down to the minors. You know, not saying that they would trade him to get something, but you know that's depth right there. And if you're throwing that away and letting another team pick that up, it, it's kind of pointless. Another question here on Facebook says tonight and really all year. This is from Nick Webb on Facebook. Uh, Sherwood has been a big energizer on the fourth line, getting to fifty-fifty pucks, keeping plays alive, etc. Do you guys think he has the potential to develop his skill and become a top six forward? I I would say top six is pushing it. I would say middle six is more likely where he's going to slot in, um, unless he's yeah. just a beneficiary of playing on the top line because he's fast and he's able to you know put the puck in the net with Ryan Getzloff. I mean, sure, he's going to be a Cogliano type player, I think. Yeah, the offense isn't quite there, but uh, people are saying they're comparing him a bit to Andre Kasha and, and just the the energy style of game. You know, he plays fast, he plays hard, he forechecks. I think he's got that sense, but he reminds me of maybe a little bit of younger Andrew Cogliano where the goal scoring isn't there and obviously the finishing isn't there and we've seen that on occasion from breakaways from, from Sherwood this year mm -hmm. already 
where maybe the finish isn't quite there. So I, I more see him maybe as a long-term replacement to Andrew Cogliano at best, where he's a third-line energy guy. He, he maybe becomes more of a, a defensive forward than anything. He uses his speed to his advantage. I, I think high upside for him is a top-nine third-line forward. Um, I think he's almost already there. I, I think when you look at who the Ducks have in their lineup, I think he's a, a pretty decent third-line forward. Maybe not in the modern-day NHL, where you're kind of expecting goal scoring from your third line. You know, you you really want three lines you can put the puck in the back of the net. Almost, I guess, four lines, right? That can put the puck in the back of the net. So nothing wrong though having him as a fourth line forward. I mean, that's kind of the type of fourth line player you want nowadays. Is is a quick, fast guy who has enough offensive instincts to put the puck in the back of the net on occasion. Uh, you you definitely need it. I feel like there's no question. Um, and then it was funny you said he's like Cogliano. Uh, Joseph Holmes answered that question for him and said, yeah, I think he's our next Cogliano. Um, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. But uh, Cog still had streaks in his career where he put up 20 goals or close to 20 goals. Um, and, and being a finisher at this level is extremely difficult. And that's something that people don't understand. You make it to the show, but to be a guy who can put the puck in the back of the net consistently and you know get a, get a bunch of goals and, and, and even just one season doesn't mean success for the following season. So – We'll see where he where he kind of where the you know well, he plays out. Yeah, for for a guy who's undrafted, for, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge steal already to begin with. Even if he becomes an energy fourth line guy, I, I mean, that's that's a great pickup for the Ducks. You look at the guys recently who they've picked up um, from college, you know, Cali Kosala. I mean, that's a great pickup for them. He's great in San Diego, and, and he's been pretty decent. He's reliable again, a fourth line guy. You can kind of move it in out of the lineup for a guy that nobody drafted that you signed out of the NCAA that's a pretty good pickup and I think Kiefer Sherwood has been one of their best pickups in in that sense when you're looking at an undrafted forward nobody expected him to make the team this year nobody expected him to make any kind of impact he's factored on the score sheet a couple times uh, and just the style of play that he brings is you know is, is exactly what the Ducks are kind of looking to transition into so I think that alone and you can't expect too much of this guy when you know, the Ducks definitely did when they picked him up, so I, I think it's been a good start for him nonetheless. And it's much better than uh, my favorite Captain Canada, Chris Kelly, from last year, oh, or, yeah. or, or Jason, Jason Chimera. Chimera. So you're bringing youth and speed, and, and you got the energy guys on uh, on the line. I don't care what line they play on. And if you asked anybody who played in the NHL, like, hey, you could play in the NHL, but you know, your, your whole career is going to be 12 years of being a bottom six forward. I don't think anyone's going to look at that and go, yeah, I don't want it. Right, you adapt to, and you do whatever you have to do to stay in the game. So nothing's wrong if he ends up being that guy. But uh, there's yeah. a lot. There's a lot to you know to uh, to to wait for and see what happens. So, but I wouldn't mind it. Right, he's a good player. So, I think that's all we have for questions. I'm gonna check our Instagram here. It was kind of a light night. I think people are uh, a little bummed yeah, with how the had, game turned uh, out. We only had one on Instagram. It was from Canadian Girl. She asked, what do you guys think of Getzlaff's mustache? I love it. <laughs> I asked my it's, wife if she would care if I did it. And she's like, <laughs> no, I love your beard. Don't get rid of the mustache. Don't get rid of just don't, You can't do the mustache. I'm like, just just for November, give me the give me the cool mustache that goes down like that. It's, it's the perfect creepy mustache. <laughs> and uh, it, it just works so well on him because he's bald. Oh, so yeah. when he takes the helmet off, it just. Uh, he's a 70s yeah, cop if he had aviators on, right? Adam Henrique has the easily the best one though. His oh yeah, curve. oh yeah, he's got it going yeah. for sure. He's got the he's got the best one going. Uh, we did get a question though in the uh, YouTube chat from Ned Barton. Um, he we, when we were talking about Andrew Cogliano, he says, "Why does uh, numb nuts and referring to, to Randy Carlisle never use Andrew Cogliano <laughs> in overtime?" Um, I think that's because we've seen from him, especially on breakaways and um, and just general play, he doesn't have the offensive instincts to really put the puck in the back of the net. So, yeah, his speed would be valuable in, in three-on-three, but it, without him out there anyway, you're going to get those opportunities. So that extra speed for a guy who can't finish, um, that's why he's not out there. I mean, the Ducks had curious players out to begin overtime anyway today. I felt like it was like they didn't utilize their top guys enough in overtime, but maybe that's just me. Um I think that's it for us, man. Unless we got anything else you want to chat about. We haven't heard any news on Cam Fowler's injury. Uh, that's going to be coming the next few days, from my understanding. Hampus Lindholm. Um, I don't know where people saw it, but in our Discord chat for Patreon, uh, I think Jimmy said that uh, it was a lingering issue from the game against the Kings. This is where Lindholm got hurt, and it kind of just never went away. 
Uh, I don't think he'll play detective on that to see, you know, where it came from. But uh, Jimmy's, you know, not one to lie about where he heard something. So I'm assuming that's that's what's happening. It doesn't seem serious if he was skating through it. But, um, I mean, hey, what are you going to do? The Ducks are going to be forced to play the kids here for a bit. But do uh, you got anything else for us, Eddie, or should we wrap this show? No, I think that's it. Uh, other than, yeah, I didn't really hear anything on Hampus Lindholm and where he got injured. Um, I mean, hopefully he's back in the minimum amount of time. So two games from now, or, well, three games from now, he has to miss the next two. So hopefully he's back. Uh, they said upper body. They didn't, did they lower body. Day-to-day? There was lower oh, sorry, body. Lower body. They didn't say day-to-day or anything. He's on the IR, so whatever that is. Well, they've been using the IR a lot this year, so it, <laughs> it, that, it doesn't seem to mean too much. Uh, it just means, obviously, that he's out for the next few games. So hopefully he's okay. I, I don't think it'll be too bad. And no update on the Eves front. The Ducks are just wounded for the past several years, as I've said on the show a number of times. I mean, they've got guys on uh, long-term IR, Corey Perry, Corbinian Holzer. Uh, Maxime Comtois is actually on a conditioning stint in San Diego, who's playing well. He scored in his first game down there. Injury reserve, they got Carter Rowney, Patrick Eves, Hampus Lindholm, Camp Fowler. Just it's never going to end. I feel like this is and never Corey ends. Perry too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Corey Perry's on long term injury, injury. Yeah, reserve, yeah. So we'll see how it goes, guys. But thanks for tuning in, everyone who joined the chat. Um, we appreciate that, of course. Whether it was on YouTube or Spreaker, if you haven't already, it doesn't matter if you want to go on YouTube and watch or not watch. You can't watch them all. It does help if you just have a Gmail account to help us build up in the rankings for those who do want to watch. Helps us show up in more searches. If you could spend two seconds, go to YouTube, look us up under Forever Mighty. And then uh, click subscribe and then click the bell, which will uh, notify you whenever we go live. We don't go live every day, every uh, you know, every hour. It's not going to bother you. But uh, just a notification for you if you want to pop into our YouTube stream. Um, and like I said, helps us out in the rankings. So can you please do that? And uh, also, if you want to help us out, go to iTunes. Um, it's always great to leave a quick review about our show. That also does the same thing for us and uh, helps out the rankings there. Um, patreon if you are a patreon subscriber we appreciate all that support too we got a couple of shows we're going to be recording this week and releasing um definitely going to do a top 10 this week and then we're going to have a Q&A show or our you know our pucks and beer show i'm talking hl and drink some beer i would be very curious to see what uh what beer eddie will be drinking when we do that because he's no longer yeah. in america he's going to go get his own beer i'm gonna to have to go down to the beer store and find it a store uh, literally I, called i haven't beer. been to the i have been to the beer store twice since moving up to sudbury so that'll be an interesting hopefully you keep uh, it very i don't Canadian. think they sell anything that i had when i was down there so now i'm gonna have to oh oh i mean have to get some uh, requests from some people in the chat uh, you're just gonna have to go to uh you're just gonna have to go get some uh was it not uh, <laughs> molson canadian is what you got to do or labat blue right those are the only no, two beers no. that americans know better can't canadian. do it it's, it's got that uh <laughs> It's it's too much of a beer taste, you know what I mean? So I can't uh, can't be can't playing with that. Do make yourself no. a hard alcohol drink then. Uh, Gordon Bombay, shout out! Thanks for calling Patreon, Lamatron. We know you support us. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> Anyways, guys, we will see you Wednesday night against the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, that's where to find us. Have a great one.